and tapped somehow to interview Frank. Uh, so I was thinking about that. I thought, gosh, you know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm no interviewer. Uh, certainly not Paul Feinbaum, meet Katie Couric or anything like that. And Andrew on the end said, make him cry. And I thought, well, that's a good goal. So, <laughs> you know, so we'll see. We'll see how all this goes. So, but as Frank says, um, let us pray. Gracious and most heavenly Father, thank you for this day, for our church, um, for Frank and Jane, uh, their ministry among us, um, your ministry through them. Uh, be with us now and, and we'll just open a conversation as we think about uh, your work done in your way uh, and how it has been provided for so faithfully through th- so many years to so many of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the intent today is uh, is obviously to have a chance to spend some time with Frank and, and Jane. Are you here? Um, put you on the spot. So um, Frank and Jane, uh, and really give Frank a chance to uh, be uncomfortable. <laughs> um, as we've talked about this a little bit, uh, I promised him I wouldn't wouldn't throw a beanball at him. So we'll, we'll see if I can deliver on that promise. Um, and I got a couple other questions, so I'm going to try to just get this pitch it to you, Frank. I think we open with a disclaimer, and, and that is to, to uh, assure everyone this is totally unrehearsed. Uh, and uh, the, the and I'm talking to you, I, you know, a lot of, at least in my experience, I've found in in, in, in these kinds of uh, dialogue, interview kind of things, I always get home and say, "Dave, go! Why didn't why didn't I say that? That was a perfect thing to say. That was a perfect scripture to pull up." Uh, and I always have these regrets. So I don't even know why I'm saying this right now. Ed, but it's, it's somewhat just to remind everybody that, uh, that I don't know what he's going to ask me. Uh, and we kind of planned it that way. Uh, so uh, for whatever it's worth, I'll give it my best shot and, and, uh, and just speak from my heart. Uh, and I'm sure when I get home, I'll, I'll think of things that I should have said. And I'll just write a letter to, to, the, to the congregation <laughs> about what I should have said. So what we all want to know is, what's the sin that you wish none of us knew? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Andrew asked this one. It's a good, good, easy one to start with. Uh, as you look back on your ministry here, what stands out the most? You know, as I look back on my we're not talking necessarily the fondest memories, no, just the things that stick out the, the most. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think that I'm going to answer it by saying one of the most cherished moments, the things that I remember most, and that is uh, the times that I've gone through with parishioners' uh, death in their families, uh, and and I have found that to be the most rewarding, if, if I may say that, uh, where I've grown to know people and to love them the most is when they're experiencing loss, uh, pain, uh, troubling times, uh, because I have found that that the gospel needs a way to enter into the human heart, and usually that's through some hole, through some wounds, through some pain. Uh, I've always said that I, I've had the most meaningful moments in the pulpit or at funerals, uh, because I have found that people generally have their hands open, so to speak, like, okay, <clears throat> now, now what can you say? It's like my first Christmas 
Eve in, in Beaufort, South Carolina, uh, a, <clears throat> a member of the parish called and said that a friend of theirs who was not a member, who had, was visiting Beaufort from New York City, uh, had come into town, and a relatively young father had had a, had a heart attack out of left field, totally unexpected, that he was in, in the coronary uh, intensive care unit, uh, uh, and and it was very, very seriously, and would I go visit? So I, it was Christmas Day, because I remember Jane, wasn't it Christmas Day? It was after the Christmas services, before Christmas dinner, so I said, sure. So I went up there, and I walked in the room, and what I found was a little surprising in as much as that uh, there, there was the mother there and, and two uh, uh, two daughters and what appeared to be the elder of the two daughters it looked up with a little bit of, uh, uh, it wasn't, a little bit of uh, resistance in her voice, irritability, and she said, I said, my name is Frank Limehouse, and I'm from the church here, and I'm, I'm here to to uh, to be with you guys and to have a prayer with us. She says, yeah, why don't you say something that will make us feel better now? And I said, unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Well, she looked at me and started crying. Uh, and the two, and the mother and the other daughter started crying. Nurse came in, she started crying. My eyes welled up. <clears throat> I went home to Jane, and she started weeping. And <clears throat> I guess what I say it was one of the most meaningful. That while that didn't happen at the Advent, it was one of the most meaningful pastoral experiences I've ever had. But I've had a lot of those experiences here. As uh, well, when I w- when I was with people, when they were hurting the most, is when I, I drew closest to them. And I think that the Lord drew closest to them. So I, I think the most meaningful moments have not been in the victories that the Mr. Worldly Wise Man would say a victory or wonderful times or the finest parties or uh, whenever I felt on top of the world, but when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death with people uh, and and talked to them about where God could be in, the, in that valley. Mm-hmm. And those have been the most meaningful yeah. times for me. On the heels of that, there's one story I've heard you say several times, one if you'd repeat it again. You were, I think, relatively new in ministry and a woman... Uh, got the call that her son had been killed in a car wreck, mm-hmm. and you went with um, the senior pastor mm-hmm. to the house. You know the story? I do. Would you pick it up and tell that story again? Oh, goodness, and that goes all the way back to when I was doing field education in okay. seminary. When I was learning to be a pastor, and, and we, uh, I, I went with the rector who was to call on uh, a parent who had lost a, a child, a teenage child, in a car accident. And after the uh, crowd... Uh, uh, a lot of the visitors and people had, had left the home and, and the uh, funeral director had, had left and we had a little bit of time with them by ourselves. And we had heard over the, over the way over there that she was constantly asking her friends, uh, how could God allow this to happen? Why would God allow this to happen? That's all I want to know. And that was something she had repeated most of the day. So we were prepared to, to enter into that dialogue with her. And uh, the rector then reached out his hand and put it on his shoulder and said, Helen, I want you to know that, that God had nothing to do with this and we don't need to blame God and God had nothing to do with it. And she thought, she looked for it seemed to me for several minutes, wasn't that long, but it was, it was a long pregnant pause and she looked at him and she said, don't, please don't take away the only hope that I have. And uh, that was meaningful to me. There's another one of the examples of Learning things to the when when the chips are down when when things are really tough when life is is really uh, difficult but 
I learned from that woman uh, that the only hope that she had was God was involved in it and that, that he, he does have the last word. And it's kind of like the sermon said today. I mean, you know, God is in Egypt. God is, God is there with her, too. And Amen. it's not like he, he's totally divorced from that. But, he, but he, he, he's in charge, and that's good news, uh, and, that, and that he will make all things he would make bad things new. Behold, I make all things new, Jesus said. Yeah. So, yeah, is that the That's story? The one. Yeah, I yeah, love that story. Yeah, yeah. You know, any good story is worth telling once, ten times, a hundred times. Um, that's, of course, the gospel. Uh, your conversion is also a very unique story, and a lot of us are familiar with it. I know several here wouldn't be. Your undoing, maybe? That's not too strong a word. Um, 17, you played a lot of golf at different points in your life. It had a lot to do with golf. P- pick it up and give us a give us a quick accounting of, of the 17th Pe- hole. People that play with me since I've come to, to Birmingham don't realize how good I was. <laughs> <coughs> well, Frank, we've got about 35 minutes if you want to tell us how good you were. <coughs> My nickname was Boom Boom. Boom Boom. And that's what Jane... No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <coughs> Charles Gaston can so, erase that, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I grew up. Uh, it's hard to do this, y'all. <laughs> you know, J- Jane was a Christian when I married her. I was not, that's for sure, and I was resistant. Uh, and uh, it wanted nothing to do with it. She, she became uh, involved in the church, and when our son was born, she uh, wanted to, uh, to uh, become more involved and, and she herself wanted to be confirmed in this particular church, and and I and I said, well, you know, that's that's wonderful, but I really don't care about being there. Is it necessary for me to be there for confirmation? And she said, no, it's not necessary for you to be there for confirmation, but I would like to do one thing, and that's play golf for the rector because he he just asked about where you were with the, with the church and where you are with the faith, and I told him the truth, and he said, well, gosh, I would just love to play golf with him someday, and. So I, I, I told Jane that you know, I don't want to play golf with him either because I know what I know what he wants and it's just it's no, no use dealing that. And that was the day that she kind of drew the line uh, and said, you know, said, you pull me away from the church, you pull me away from Bible study. We don't pray it, even at Thanksgiving meals. The other day, at Thanksgiving dinner, you resisted uh, saying a prayer with the family there and. Uh, and she said, I, I, and that, you know, my son was born, and you even resisted being there for the baptism, and I want to be confirmed, and <clears throat> you won't play golf with this man. She said, you know, I, I, I just, not sure I'll be home tonight. I'm going to talk to my mom, and, and uh, I said, well, you know what? I'll play golf with him, <laughs> because, <clears throat> because I, I loved her dearly, and I didn't, I could tell that things were, were pretty shaky there, so I played golf with a guy, and uh, as we were leaving the ninth hole, uh, he, he brought it up. He said, tell me, Frank, about you in the church. What, what's, what's the issue there? Is it Jesus' What's the issue with the faith? Is it Jesus' resurrection from the dead? Is that what's bothering you? And I said, oh, Bill, Dr. Snow was his name. He was a good golfer, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> very good golfer. He was, uh, he was the senior clergy champion of the state. And, uh, <clears throat> a worthwhile goal. So, yeah, I was a little surprised, taken back by that, because he said, let's play back. Let's, let's, let's put everything out. Let's play from the back tees. And Let's don't roll it in the fairway. And I said, all right, this guy's for real. So, uh, but, uh, but on the last hole, he asked me that, and I, I said, I don't have a problem for all I'm concerned. I said, but, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I couldn't answer the question. 
And he never brought it back up. We went off the ninth ninth hole and went to the and got our hamburger and then played it back and our sandwich. And but I can only say that that question possessed me. I could not shake it, uh, and uh, it, it uh, c- controlled me. And I often said it was like a song that you can't get out of your mind. You sing it in the shower and you try to forget. I don't. I'm tired of that song. You know, you can't stop singing it. I do that, and but I couldn't get rid of this question, and I, I came to realize, and I won't go into. I could spend a long time talking about this conversion, but uh, only to say is that I, I came to realize. Well, of course, that's that's the issue, uh, and 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 if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then then the, the church is collapses like a deck of cards. But if he was raised, then something serious is going on, and I realized that, and. And came to grips with it, and and wrestled with it, and ultimately led to my conversion. And I, I would suggest to any and all of you, if, you, if when you wrestle with faith, that you always take it back to Easter morning, that first Easter morning, because if it happened, then then everything else falls into place. And if it didn't happen, then then uh, then it's all for naught. As, as Saint Paul said, then we are of all men most to be pitied, because we've been hoodwinked. It's a hoax. So, uh, interestingly, uh, in looking ahead to, to next Sunday's sermon, I, I actually plan to m- talk a little bit about Easter. I, that's not the main focus, but you'll hear this again next Sunday. But uh, that's that's led to my conversion, and uh, and uh, it's it's always been uh, the the foundation to my faith and to my Christianity is the objective reality of that first Easter morning. It's a word that has been planted, I think, in a lot of us through you, the objective reality of that Easter morning and how it's the central word, the grand miracle. It's got to be. It's got to be. And then the question is, all right, now, so then that gives veracity to Christianity. Now, what does Christianity mean to me? Mm-hmm. Then, you, then, you, then you start looking at Good Friday. First things first. First things first is the reality of it, the, the legitimacy of it. Then you say, well, okay, what does this mean? Yeah. Then you start looking at Good Friday. And what did that mean? And how does that apply to my life? Uh, and, well, everything changes. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Who have been some of the greatest influences on you and your ministry? Alive, dead, authors, friends? Well, the guy I played golf with. Indeed. <coughs> You know, Jane, Jane has, uh, she, she she never quit praying for me. In fact, well, the day I told her I was going to go to seminary, she said, gosh, I, did, I was praying all this time. I never stopped praying, but I didn't mean to pray so hard. <coughs> pull back, pull back. Pull back a little. Well, let's put this in perspective. Are we going to Africa? Yeah. So certainly Bill Snow, Dr. Snow, Jane, I, you know, Fitzsimmons Allison, uh, when I went to seminary, he was the bishop of South Carolina when when I, I went to seminary, and, and, and I don't know if, how many of you know Fitzsimmons Allison, but uh, he, he is probably the, the, the premier uh, mentor of my life and my theology. Uh, he's the one that said, that what's wrong with the church today? We're talking about the Episcopal Church, and he said, what's wrong with the church today is a pusillanimous doctrine of the atonement. I remember telling that story. And I, and I, I was a deacon under training, and I said, I would, I would agree with that. So uh, I, I went home and looked up the word peaceful animals. <laughs> <coughs> and I was glad I agreed with him. But uh, <laughs> uh, meaning modeling, uh, modeling, weak, uh, saccharine, 
uh, understanding of the atonement. So it certainly fits Simmons Allison. And then he placed me uh, out of seminary, he placed me with Paul Zoll uh, in, in, uh, at St. James in Charleston. And uh, 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 so I got to put Paul up there, to be honest with you. Uh, it, it was only two years, but it was an interesting two years to do ministry with, <laughs> with Paul. Uh, uh, but Paul, and you know, as, uh, as far as uh, mentors, uh, Carl Bart, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Charles Simeon, I do the old guy. I haven't read too many of the contemporary writers, and I, and I, I, I don't mean to smug that, but most of mine have been, uh, have been uh, the, the guys that are, uh, that are no longer living, like like a Karl Barth, uh, uh, Luther, Calvin, and all the English reformers. I'm in. Yeah. Joe had a, a good follow-up question to that. Um, uh, <clears throat> It'll come as no surprise that you've also had quite an impact on many people, young and old, clergy and lay. What would you hope your legacy to be? Here. Generally, either here or, you know, your whole ministry. What would I want my legacy to be? Jeez, uh, you know, the guy really believed what he preached. <laughs> I think I'd like that to be my legacy. Um there's a plaque up there in, the, in, the, in that pulpit that says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And I, I would like to be, you know, part of my legacy is that the guy really believed that because I'm fully aware that no one wants my opinion. Well, I'm fully aware that nobody needs my opinion on anything. Uh, I'd be glad to give my opinion to someone, uh, Daniel George, at, at the bar over there somewhere like that, or on a golf course for that matter. I'd be glad to over a cup of coffee, but when I'm in that pulpit, I, I'm not there to give you my opinion or my philosophy or my theory or anything else. I'm there to preach the gospel. And I would like that to be my legacy is that when I got up there, that I did as good as I could to, to focus on that and to leave myself out of it. Uh, and one of the great... Uh, one of the, the, the only thing that sustains me in ministry is the fact that I don't have to get up there and be brilliant. I don't have to come up there with any great new ideas. I don't have to come up there with any uh, new insights. All I have to do is uh, preach what's been given to me. I'm like, you know, like, like an old ambassador. Uh, in fact, the word preach, uh, uh, if, if you look at it, the etymology of the word preach it is to, to, to announce, the, to summons people together to make a announcement from the imperial palace imperial palace and you know, in ancient judaism the uh sanhedrin was sent out <clears throat> sent out spokesmen for or heralds who would blow his trumpet and make an announcement from from uh, the imperial palace and uh, uh and, and that's what i do I'm, I'm i'm not there to do anything but that but i would like my legacy to be to be that he stuck to he didn't he didn't give us opinion as theorists from the he just preached the gospel, and, and that's the only thing he had. And God's powers make perfect weakness, and I got plenty of weakness. So, so, uh, so God can work with that. Then I'm in good shape. Amen. And you, of course, placed the plaque, that plaque in. I did. In that, I, I put that in there. It's from First Corinthians. Mm-hmm. I put it in there, uh, and I was telling someone about it. I said I'd like to have a plaque in there, 
and uh, Clay Morris and Mary Morris happened to hear it, and next thing I know, a week later, it was in there. <laughs> so, and they wouldn't. What they said, don't tell anybody that I put it in there. So you can scratch that from the record, but. Uh, <laughs> But, but, yeah, they, they put it in there. It was a great blessing to me. And I don't know if you – every time I walk in a pulpit, I actually go through a sacramental exercise of rubbing my hand over it. Yeah. Don't they do that at Clemson? <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. The, the team, when they run down the rock, they rub their hands on the rock. So I, I rub my hands on, on that. I mean, you remember what Frank Howard said, too. He was the, the closer. He said, you know, if you don't give 100%, keep your filthy hands off my rock. <laughs> so uh, – and I tell that to my, to my team up there. I said, all right, if you're going to get in that pulpit there – and if you're not prepared, and if you're not prepared to preach the gospel, keep your filthy hands off my plaque. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been, that's been a refrain. So, uh. Well, thinking of legacy, um, certainly as the, the men and women that we invite here to preach for Lent, um, most notably, uh, countless times they comment, of course, on that plaque. Yeah. And that will be among the many parts of your legacy, certainly. Well, that would be a good one. And the subject of preaching, also coming on a question that Joe had, which I thought was apropos. Um, you continue a strong line of uh, emphasis on preaching. Um, a lot of churches will have their preaching ministry built on uh, on the heels of their, their programs, their outreach program, their, their education program, their um, fellowship programs. Here it seems to be different. Our programs are built in some ways on our preaching ministry. Um, Take that up. Agree with it. Massage it. Run with it. Why? Why? Why, why such an emphasis on preaching, where everything else comes uh, from a church level, built upon the preached word? Well, preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching. Yeah, I, I, I think that that's the foundation. Well, without which we become uh, just like any other social organization. If, if outreach is done purely for the sake of outreach, then you really can do that in a Rotary Club. <coughs> Uh, there, there are a lot of organizations that, don't, that, do, that do brilliant outreach, in fact, probably better than the church. Uh, but I think uh, our pastoral care, uh, you, you know, there's this something uh, in ministry called the uh, theology of presence, where the most important thing is just that I want you to know that I'm here. Uh, uh, Gil, I know you're going through a lot. I know you've lost, uh, you've lost some loved ones, and I know you're really struggling right now, but I want you to know I'm with you, and I'm here for you. Well, you know what? That's real fine and good. But so what? I want my daughter back, you know. And so give me, give me, give me some hope here. And so pastoral care is built on the hope of Easter morning, and our outreach is 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 here because we, we've been we, we've been uh, sustained and we have been transformed by what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I mean we're here because because Jesus has given us a lot more than we could possibly ever give you. Uh, I have someone when, when the world, world trade buildings went down, we had someone talk to us in the Diocese of South Carolina about theology of presence, and, and he was saying as he went to the, to, they, they were there really right after it, and, and, and he said we were there with these people, and what more could we give them than, than being there? And I was sitting there with some of my friends, and I said, get me out of here. What do you mean that's all you can give them is just be there? Give them Jesus. Amen. Give them something to hold on to. I mean, I you know, yeah, there, there are a lot of people who aren't Christians there, but but you can certainly uh, uh, find an inroad. Some way you can get an inroad. Say, would you like to tell me where I find my hope? Let me tell you where I find my hope and to, uh, to give them something they can hold on to. But I so yeah, everything we do is built on it's, it's built on 
foundation of the gospel. And that, that's, uh, and, and I, it makes me feel so good because I, I, uh, I, I know that the team has left, you know, I, I'm getting more freed up now that I'm on the verge of retiring and, and my, I'm more freed up to say, but I, I don't, I don't understand why anybody would ever want to belong to any church other than Advent. <laughs> I, I cannot get it. I, I, I just don't understand it. Because. <clears throat> Let be, that one ride. Because. <laughs> Because you can go to our children's ministry. I mean, e- even in the nursery, though. Have you ever been in the nursery? You've seen the prayers? I've been. You've seen this little plaque for Cameron Cole on, on the little children these little kids pray with? Man, it's, it's gospel there. And, and nothing else in nursery workers is there. But they, they, they're singing. When they're changing diapers, they're, they're, singing, they're singing spiritual songs to these people. So nursery, Elizabeth Wilson, what they're doing. Our children, when they go through Sunday school here, they'll, they'll understand Christianity. And then when you get uh, Sarah Siebel's and, and uh, Cameron Gillum uh, in, in our EYC, these kids, when they go off to college, they'll know what Christianity is. And when they hear these professors, uh, these uh, uh, interfaith uh, comparative religion professors hand them a bunch of stuff that's really not true, they, they'll pick it up. I guarantee you that our people will, will, will know what Christianity is if they've been, if they've been here. They'll know, it, you know what the deal is. Uh, and, and right on up through our adult education, uh, and through uh, and, and the team of, of, of preachers and teachers that I leave behind here, I just don't know if we were a football team, no one would want to schedule us. <laughs> <laughs> we got five star recruits at every position. I I I, I don't care. I, I can say it because I'm. I, am I being both? I'm not being. I'm not being proud. I'm being thankful. And I don't, you can't be both proud and thankful. But I am thankful that when I'm heading out of here, uh, that. We got a team back here. Amen. Otherwise, I would leave sad, but I don't have to leave sad. Mm. Solid as a rock. Mm. And people say, "Well, I would want to leave because you know it's a little closer. I get community. I get more fellowship over here." You know what? That that's that's so far second until it's unbelievable. It, 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 fellowship. All right, so invite them over after church so your kids can have some fellowship after church with the kids in their neighborhood. But while they're in, in church and Sunday school here, this is where they need to be. And there's no other. There's no other church. There's no other. I don't know what I'm going to do about church because the Advent has spoiled me. <laughs> I, what, what, music? Come on. <laughs> Worship? Yeah. Ruined. You've been ruined. I've been, I, it, yeah. <laughs> and I, and I, and I, I'm just telling you that there should be no, there's no reason for anyone, we should have 12,000 members. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's your mission is to. Mark Gentilat, I mean, I. I just think, you know, it's just so solid. Yeah. And I see, I mean, I'm leaving. I'm not talking about myself anymore. I can't say this a year ago because, you know, I'm tooting my own horn. I'm not tooting my horn now. I'm a done deal. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, the part of me will always be by here. Two, so. Staying, you went past some, <clears throat> some, some points of theology. Just stay there for a little bit. Um, I think a few of us... Lots of us really appreciate just the, the tenacity that you bring forward theologically. Um, to say that you bring us a robust understanding of the reality of grace, I think, is an understatement. Um, one of the first classes I remember you teaching as, a, as the dean here was one on predestination, um, an oft misunderstood <coughs> Uh, doctrine, one that people don't understand is an extension of the doctrine of grace, but our own articles describe it as the 
a doctrine of, of sweet and unspeakable comfort. Um, revisit, in a, revisit in a minute, in 60 seconds, um, the doctrine of predestination and why it brings so <laughs> such, a, such sweet, unspeakable comfort to people as an extension of grace. Before I leave what, what all of our ministers have built on, you know, I get home and you think about what you should have said. I also said to Christian counseling, because there are, there are a lot of Christian counselors, but they're, 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 uh, you can count true Christian counselors uh, on one hand, uh, even in big cities. And this guy here, our, not only our pastoral care and our outreach and our inreach, but also our counseling, family counseling, individual counseling, when you send them to premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, you send them to Gill, they're going to get the real deal. So let me add also your ministry. To and this is related to predestination how? Yeah. <laughs> well, I wanted to say that. I didn't want to forget that. But that's, that's, that's crucial to me because I, I, do, I, I refer a lot of people to you, but I do it with the utmost of confidence. Predestination in 60 seconds. Uh, gee, I, you know, I, I did uh, four- and five-part series, Dean's Classes, on predestination. But I, I would, I would, say, and you, you talk about election too. Yeah. Uh, you're throwing that into one, because predestination, foreknowledge, predestination. Let's put it all in there. You got. Well, I start with seconds. predestination. Uh, you know, Exodus 23:20 20 is in my Bible and it's marked. You know, it's highlighted. Uh, Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way and take you to the place which I have prepared. You know, and I and I, I believe that. I, I I tell it to people when they're struggling and don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I say, you know, Exodus 23, 20, put it up on the refrigerator. Better yet, take it from the refrigerator and put it in your heart and leave it there. Behold, I sent an angel to guard you on the way, not lead you on the way, not direct you on the way, not point you to the way, but I guard you on the way and take you to the place which I have prepared. You know, he's told, and even our bad choices can't thwart that verse. Even our bad choices cannot uh, thwart God's providence. He's going to take you where he's got you prepared. But there's a paradox there because on one hand, we are held totally accountable for our choices. On the other hand, our bad choices can't thwart God's purposes. I can't reconcile that, but God can reconcile it. And there's great assurance there. And that's the sweetness and the assurance of that is that I don't care how deep your hole is, uh, you'll know that, that God is in control. I first read that verse, and it, it came from the, a movie called The Apostle with, with uh, Robert Duvall. Uh, and, uh, you, know, you know, he was uh, uh, an evangelical Pentecostal uh, Ministers who, whose youth director he found in the he found his wife sleeping with his youth director. It's my own worst nightmare. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> who happened to also be his baseball coach, his little boy's baseball coach. So the next morning, after seeing this terrible thing in his own bed, he sees his son admiring his this same guy who's a little league baseball coach. That's the morning he can take. So he picks up a metal bat. And he catches him right here. And it's like David Duvall says, I'm afraid he's going to glory. So, uh, <laughs> so he's on the run now. He's, and the law is after him. He's in the middle of a desert uh, in, in Arizona. And he, and, and he gets to a crossroad in the middle of the desert. He falls to his knee. And he mumbles something typical in Robert Duvall's uh, 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 mumble. Uh, and I can't make it out. But I, so it's on DVD so I can play it, rewind it, play it, rewind it. <laughs> And I got enough of it in the concordance that I could go back to Exodus 23:20, And he said, Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way and take you to the place which I had prepared. He prayed that. And he got back in the car and he took off. In total confidence, God would take him there. End of the movie, he's, in, he's back in prison. The law catches him. 
He's, he's on run, but the law catches him, throws him in prison. What's he doing? He's evangelizing inmates. And all these prisoners are there with their hands up, giving Jesus praise. Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you, and we take you to a place without prepare. He wouldn't have opted to go back to prison, but the Lord sent him there. Mm-hmm. Now, how can, you know, the, the whole thing, even the murder, uh, how can God make, it's like the woman who said, tell me God is not involved here. God is involved in everything, and he makes good of everything. But so that verse, as far as predestination is concerned, it's the most assuring thing in the world. That does not take us off the hook. We're still accountable. And, and the same thing with our Christian faith. Uh, you know, when I preach, I, I have, uh, you know, I do the best I can, and then God does the rest. I, I, I preach like an Arminian, but believe like a Calvinist. Now, an Arminian believes that, you know, everybody's got their own choice, and even the Holy Spirit can't pull you in if the Holy Spirit don't want you. Well, the Bible's, come on. The Holy Spirit will bring you in when, when the Holy Spirit is good and ready, and That's He will. Not too short. Yes. So, uh, but at the same time, we're held accountable. I can't reconcile that. But I preach, and it's like this. This uh, there's, there's a verse in Acts says, uh, uh, "And with great passion, the apostles preached the resurrection, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. And all who heard, who were born to eternal life, who were predestined, believed." There it is, right there. You preach, and all who, and all who are predestined will believe, and all who don't, then then that's God's business. And I won't go into, all right, well, how about this or how about that? And that means God predestined them to hell. No, all right, this four, you can go to your website. It's four, four hours on it if you want it. Uh, I can't reconcile it. But, it, but you know, if, if I believe that me coming to Jesus on my golf course experience or when I came to conversion, if I believe that, it, that I was the one who did it, then, then maybe I can give 90% of the glory to God. Or 95% of the glory to God, or 99% of the glory to God. But if I got to hold back a little bit of glory for myself, well, I made the decision, didn't I? I'm the one that accepted Jesus. Well, the fact is, I was a done deal. I was cooked. He said, you know what? I don't know why, why he would want Frank Limehouse. I have no idea. But he just, you know, he, he and same with you, Gil. You're mine. From my, before I was in my mother's womb, you're mine, and you're coming. And yet I'm held accountable. I can't reconcile it. But I think if you realize that, it gives all the glory to God. 100% of the glory to God. Everyone in this room is a Christian. Give God the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. Soli Deo Gloria. 100%. 110%. There's a proverb. You and I have talked about this proverb before. Better to live on the corner of the roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I think that's I would rather live in the wilderness alone than an angry and contentious woman <laughs> that's the way that goes uh, yeah Jane has been the antithesis of this can you say a little bit a bit about now, Jane about Jane and just what she's meant with you over the years in your ministry well you know I, th- I think You've heard of marriage made in heaven. I believe that. I, I think that that the Lord knew I needed a helper and I needed a special helper uh, in my ministry. Let me let me just say, Jane does everything. She uh, she cooks, she cleans up, she washes my clothes, she pays taxes, she pays the bills. She uh, she does anything that is not taking place at Advent. Uh, 
she's good and she knows it. And if, if, there's, if there's any one little, she has a tendency to self-righteousness. But uh, <clears throat> There will be time for rebuttal from the gentlewoman from South Carolina. <laughs> but she's good. Well, I mean, what can I say? I, don't, I just don't really think that, uh, that I, I could make it. Uh, without Jane, I, I, she, she's really uh, she's really the rock. But I, you know, other than Jesus, I mean, she, she's the foundation. Uh, and uh, I think the Lord uh, knew I needed her. She's she handles guilt real well. <laughs> I, I once asked her, you know, when she didn't get up out of bed to help me out one morning, I needed really need some help, and she slept in, and I came home at night and told her about it, and. Seemed to handle it all right. And I said, well, Jane. I said, Jane, don't you feel guilty? She said, yeah, but I handled guilt real well. <laughs> What's so the I mayonnaise think, story? If I think if there's anything that she handles guilt a little too well. What's the thing about mayonnaise? Oh, mayonnaise. This is a great one. I forget what it is, but it's funny. Oh, my goodness. Well... Do you want to hear the mayonnaise story? I do again? want to hear the mayonnaise story. Well, you know, part of part of my I'm I'm irritable and I don't have a lot of patience and no. and uh, and I, I'm I'm hard to live. with. another thing too is that God gave me a woman that that can live with me. I'm not easy to live with. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I, I once asked Jane why she loved me. You've heard this story and I and, and she thought and thought and thought and thought <laughs> and she couldn't come up with a reason. And finally she said, I don't know. I just do. But uh, you see, that's the, mo- that's the best news I could ever heard. That's great. Because anything she could have named would be vulnerable to loss of depreciation. I could lose any and everything that she could have possibly named. Why I love me? She just loves me because she does, and uh, that that's that's. But I'm 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 hard to get along with, and I, I I'm I'm, uh, I'm basically a good guy till I, till you provoke me, and I'm easily provoked. Uh, and, uh, <clears throat> and 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 one day I, I was home and I wanted to make a sandwich and she had asked me, you know, you know, make a grocery list and, and I, I told her what all to get from a sandwich and she, uh, I went to make my sandwich and there was no mayonnaise there. Yeah. And uh, I don't know about you, but a ham sandwich without mayonnaise is not a, not a ham sandwich. So I, like I, I, I need, there's two things I need. I need a Diet Coke and mayonnaise on, with my ham sandwich. So, uh, so uh, I, I uh, it, it wasn't there. Jane wasn't there. So I left her a note and I wrote a big black magic marker. Mayonnaise, and I unloaded it three times and put like four exclamation points by it. And stuck it there, you know. <laughs> so uh, I came home. I went home, and I and I came back that night, and I, I came in. I and I said, Jane, I said, come on now. We worked really hard on the grocery list. I said, did you get my note about the mayonnaise? And she said, Yeah, you know, you misspelled mayonnaise. That's <laughs> 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 the so she handles guilt real well, what I'm saying. What's going to be on y'all's tombstones? Well, thank you for asking. <laughs> I have uh, one of my going-away gifts from St. Helens and Beaufort. You know, they have a very old historic churchyard there. With two Revolutionary War soldiers are buried there. And, and for, for um, the, the, the people are buried on the, on the graveyard on the other side of the street. But that old graveyard has been... Has been, uh, uh, you know, generations have owned it, and there's no place to be buried there. So, but sure enough, part of our going away gift was two plots, right there, on, right on the, on the walkway leading into the front of the church. 
uh, and it gives me an opportunity to continue to preach after I'm dead. And I and I and I and, I, and Jane and I've talked about it, and and on my tombstone, uh, I want uh, Romans eight one, which is there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Uh, that's the first verse in the, in the eighth chapter, and then the last verse uh, in the eighth chapter is there is therefore now no separation for those in Christ Jesus. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? You know it, but I tell you that uh, no one shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jane is going to have no separation. So we have no condemnation in Christ over here, no separation in Jesus Christ. And so we'll have a one-two punch right there. <laughs> going in the yeah, so that's, that's the plan anyway, I, you know. Wrapping up, um, what will you not miss about ministry? Meetings. Maybe I should expand on it. Uh, What will I not miss about ministry? Ah, gosh. You know, I'm so easily hassled and and provoked, and I, I, uh, I will not miss any and everything that pulls me away from what I really need to be doing and fussing over what color the men's toilet needs to be painted or or, or, or fussing over uh, over uh, administrative issues that ultimately don't matter. Uh, and the, the, the canons of the church say that the clergy uh, have charge over spiritual matters of the parish and the vestry and the wardens have charge over temple and, and finances but it, that that doesn't happen practically it doesn't happen and you get so involved in ministry and in 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 things uh, that's why I say meetings I, I you know just uh, meetings about uh, uh, things that ultimately don't matter but things that are very very important mm-hmm. Uh, and what I won't miss about ministry. Gosh, I don't know. I didn't anticipate you asking me that. And I really need to think about this a little bit so I can articulate it more. Just getting bogged down in, in minutia and, and... The urgent minutia, which takes you away from the... Urgent and important, important. Yeah. minutia. Uh, that, that takes you away from things. And, and people uh, writing in uh, uh, to complain about... Things that people do that? that ultimately don't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, or, and I, you know, I, uh, I hate to get people to tell me they're going to transfer. That's one thing I won't miss. People tell me, well, we're going to leave the Advent because of this and that and the other thing. And I want to. You know, I just, I just want to say, whoa, do you realize what, what you're leaving? So, uh, there's a bookend to the question. What? What will you not miss? What will be hard to walk away from? What will be hard to leave? Everybody in this room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People. We, we, we've loved Birmingham more than any other place. i got to be careful. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, you know, Jane has always had a career. She's a school psychologist, so she's worked 
Monday through Friday. She's worked really, really hard. And then she comes on a weekend and then wash my clothes, take care of me. And she had no time to get involved. But here in Birmingham, you know, she retired. She was part of me coming here uh, as an old man was, you know, I, I came here at 61 years old. I mean, I was getting on up there. And I think it was Billy Pritchard to say, I had told him, I said, I'm too old. And Billy Pritchard said, well, you know, Steve Spur is 61. He's taking a South Carolina job. So, <laughs> so he, and I said, well, all right, Steve Spur can do it and I can do it. So, uh, but, but, uh, but she retired. Uh, so, and, and so she was able to be involved in the life of the parish more. She had two Bible studies during the week uh, in, in the deanery. And, and she's connected and had more, made more friends here. And, and I, have, uh, I have just really come to love Birmingham. Uh, in a profound way, and the people here, I made friends here and close friends here, and uh, I, I, I dearly love this church, and I love the people, and I love I love everything about it. That's what's going to be hard to leave. I don't plan to quit ministry. I'm not sure exactly what all I'll be doing, but uh, wherever, Exodus 23, 20, <laughs> you know, is, is it. So people and my relationships and my, and my friendships and will be the most difficult thing to to leave. Almost out of time. Yeah. If you want to, is there a last word that comes to mind? Something you want to leave us with before we pray? Um, it's been an honor. It's been, I, I guess that's, it's the word, and I am a living testimony that God's power is made perfect in weakness, uh, and that, uh, and and it's it's, uh, I'll, uh, it's. God's providence bringing me here to Birmingham is 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 just been a tremendous blessing for me. Okay.